All right. Good morning. It's great to be with you. You know what's fun about this morning is that little baby Beatrice right here that was dedicated today. Some of you will remember this moment. Her older brother Silas, not the oldest one, but the middle brother, he, a couple years ago on Christmas, he was just like a teeny little baby like Beatrice was, and it was Christmas Eve, and I used him as a prop for like, like baby Jesus prop. And it was like a couple days after I had some surgery and I was still pretty looped up on drugs and I was like holding him and like standing on the edge of the stage and like every mom in the room was like, oh, and he lived through it right there. You saw him today. He's good to go. So um, kind of a fun family moment. Anyway, hey, another family moment for you before we get into our message this morning. Uh, Marion Franklin, who was our oldest member of Cedar Mill, um, hadn't been around for a while, has been shut in for a bit, uh, passed away this week. Um, and she was just a dear, sweet, wonderful woman who to the very end thanked God for all the gifts that she had in her life. Um, and so uh, we, we will miss her and we mourn her loss, but we also celebrate the fact that she is with the Lord today. So God bless you, Marion. Um, look forward to seeing you in the future. So, uh, the, the pain of death and also the joy of eternal life to come is such a, such a tension point, I think. At any rate, let me uh, pray and then we'll get into our message this morning. Father, we thank you again for these, the children of our church. These little ones who, um, and it's our prayer, Lord, that you would help to know you and follow you and trust you in such amazing and great ways that you will use them to change this world and bring your kingdom and show your love and grace beyond even um, what we are doing now. And so I pray a blessing over all of our children's ministry volunteers, our youth staff, uh, the people who are investing into the lives of our kids in this church and as part of our family. We also thank you, Lord, for Marianne this morning, for a life well-lived, a long life well-lived. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have for her in Jesus. We love you, Lord. Bless this time and your word this morning. May you use it to challenge us and change us and help us follow you in the ways that you long for us to. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, this morning we are continuing our series called Life in the Spirit. And if you remember way back at the beginning of our series, week one, we started with a verse from John chapter 7 where Jesus stands up and says, If you believe in me, if you put your faith and trust in me, there is available to you this life-giving power that will flow through the very center of your being. And this is Jesus talking about the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is this, the Christian life was never meant to be lived by our own strength, but we were supposed to walk by the Spirit. And that's really what this series has been about. It's not really been about who the Holy Spirit is. It's not about learning about the Holy Spirit. The series is truly at its core about what does it look like for you and me and for us together to walk with the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit and empowered to do our lives in this world through the power of the Spirit. And we've talked about how that's not a passive thing, how it's, 
not something that we can earn or do on our own, but it's also not something that we just lay back and expect the Spirit to magically do to us. But it's this process where God invites us to cooperate with Him, to walk in step with His Spirit. And there, we've talked about how there are practices and things we can do to engage the Spirit and allow the Spirit to move and work and flow through our lives. Last week, we talked about how we are guided and led by the Spirit when we listen to the Spirit. How prayer is not just a one-way communication. How God really longs to speak to us, to talk directly to you and me. And that he really longs for us to set aside time and space so that we can intentionally listen for his voice. Listening is one of the primary ways that we, that we ride the wave of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then last week we did some listening. We spent some time together just sitting and listening for the voice of God. And some of you heard some things from God. Some, some of you may not have heard anything in this room, but I hope that as you listened through the week that God spoke to you in some way. Many of you, at least several of you, asked me, Pastor Dave, when we listened together, did you hear anything from the Lord? And in fact, I did. He spoke very clearly to me um, a word, preach longer sermons. (laughs) And so today we're going to really go for it. No, I'm kidding. Um, God has been speaking to me, and he has shared some things with me. And it's amazing to me how God does long to talk to us, and he will share with us things that we'd expect, but also sometimes things that we don't. When we set aside time and listen to his voice and tune our minds to hear him talking. Well, this week we're talking about another practice that helps us walk in step with the Spirit. This week I want to talk to you about what many scholars believe is the second most commanded practice in the Bible. If prayer is number one, if listening to the Spirit is of primary importance, then what we'll talk about today is certainly a close second. Singing. This morning we will talk about music and singing. Did you know that in the Psalms there are something like a hundred places where we are commanded to sing to God? Just in the Psalms alone. I'll share a few. Psalm 5, but let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Psalm, not, Psalm chapter 9, I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. Psalm 59, But I will sing of your strength. In the morning, I will sing of your love. Psalm 63, because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I could go on and on and on, but perhaps my favorite is Psalm 33. Listen to these words. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. That is, you who long to be right with God. You who are right with God through Christ. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. I love how it says in verse 1, it's fitting to praise his name. See, that word means it's appropriate. It fits 
you. It lines up with who you were designed and created to be. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, longs to offer us freedom. How that when we walk in step with the Spirit and are in sync with the Spirit, we experience true freedom in this world. Not just the freedom to do whatever we want, we want, but the freedom to be who we were designed and created to be. That's what the Spirit longs to offer us. That's what freedom is. We talked about how freedom is when like a fish swims in the ocean or a cheetah sprints across the plains. Friends, the Bible says this, we are truly free when we sing praises to God. When songs and music fill our hearts and come off of our lips, that is how we were designed. It is fitting. It fits with us. Listen to Psalm 33 again. This is from a translation of the scriptures called The Voice that I'm enjoying a lot lately. It says, Release your heart's joy in sweet music to the eternal. When the upright passionately sing glory-filled songs to him, Everything is in its right place. Things tend to line up correctly when we sing to God. All the stuff that's off kilter in your heart and mind and soul, it starts to write itself through your singing of praise to the Father. But unfortunately, I believe singing is often something we overlook and tend to minimize. Especially in a church like ours, it can sometimes be just a fluffy extra or an add-on or a warm-up for the sermon on Sunday morning. Friends, here is the truth. I do not believe we understand how important singing is. We have lost track of how central singing is in the scriptures for the spiritual life of those who want to walk with God. Tim Keller, who along with John Piper and author Gordon Fee, I am indebted to greatly for this message, says this. If you do not learn how important it is to sing praises, sing God's praises regularly with others, to listen to God's praises sung, you will actually not be changed by the gospel. If you do not learn how important it is to sing God's praises, you will actually not be changed by the gospel. You will not walk in the spirit. The transformation that you long for and that your soul is yearning for will not happen unless you learn to sing. And so today I want to talk about music and singing and the essential role it plays in living a life filled with the Holy Spirit. Today we'll tackle three questions. Why does singing matter? Why is music so important? Two, what does it accomplish? What actually happens? What does it do? And then three, how does this work? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. We've hit on verse 18 already in this series, but we're going to look at it from just a slightly different angle this morning and then go a bit further with what Paul says here in Ephesians. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. He says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. <laughs> 
Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Singing and music, why does it matter? What's the big deal? Why such an emphasis? Why so important? Notice the last phrase up there. It says, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. You see, that, friends, is language of offering. That's language of offering something. It's the act of giving to God. That's what Paul is talking about here. And I have to tell you that every single time the Bible says that we are to offer something to God, it's always valuable stuff. It's always the best we have to give. Never in the entire scriptures, if you read the entire Bible, you will never read, you know, offer something to God, whatever will do. Just hit Dollar Tree on the way home, pick up something cheap and plop it down on the altar. God will be satisfied. We never read that in scripture. Instead, time and time again, over and over and over again, God says this, bring your best, bring your finest, bring your first. Whatever you give to me should be something of immense value because I am immensely valuable and your heart needs to be reminded of that. And so when God tells us to offer music, to offer song, to sing and make music for him, he's telling us implicitly that these are things of great value. That music is actually one of the most important and powerful things that we have. Friends, we experience this all the time in our world. The, the power and the importance and the significance of music to work and act in, in our world and in us, we see it and we experience it all the time, so much so that I think we forget about it. We see it in the secular world. In fact, sometimes I think the secular world, the non-church world, understands the power of music more than we do. You see, music is powerful. It has the ability to shape and change us in deep and profound ways. And again, you always experience this throughout your day, many times. Take a look at this scene from Lord of the Rings. I was just doing a little bit of dinking around on the internet, and the Lord of the Rings isn't really significant that it's that movie, but I found this scene, and I want you just to experience, just for a moment, the power of the music. How this very simple scene that doesn't really show much at all, it's just some guys running across a hilltop, how the music tells you the importance of it. It's the scene of these, like, these three guys that are kind of running off to take on the evil forces of Middle Earth. That's where they live, Middle Earth. And like they're, they're going off to face evil. They're going off to kind of engage the battle. And, and the music tells the story. Take a look. See, the music tells us that the Dark Lord Sauron's in big trouble, right? That he's going down. And we know that, not from the scene, not from what we, what we see, but from what we hear. Because 
if you change the music, you change the entire thing. Take a look. The Dark Lord Sauron's gonna kick their butt, I'm pretty sure, right? Like, it's not gonna happen, guys. All from just a change in music. You see, music has the ability to go deep down inside of us and change the way we feel. It changes our hearts. Music is extremely powerful. And maybe some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, okay, Pastor Dave, big deal. Music can change the mood of a movie scene. Well, it goes farther than that. And let me give you an example, a more significant example maybe of the power of music. There, there's an old musical, a show some of you may remember, starring Liza Minnelli called Cabaret. And the setting of this musical is pre-World War II Germany, and it's set during the time when the Nazis were rising in power. And there's this scene in the show where a group of people are sitting around this cafe and they're talking about the Nazis and they're talking about the problem and, and the rising trouble. But they're also expressing how there's no way that the Nazis will ever take over. There's no way that the Nazi power will rise in Germany. And then all of a sudden... This young man stands up in the middle of the cafe and he starts to sing this beautiful song. And it's a Nazi song. And as he sings, slowly, everybody else in the cafe, one by one, begins to stand up and sing along with him. And the point of the scene, the point that was so powerfully made, was this. One of the ways the Nazis gained power is by taking over and capturing the music of the culture. And therefore, they began to also capture the hearts of the people. Because they understood the power of music. You see, there's so much power in music. That's why Martin Luther said, If you want to comfort the sad... If you want to terrify the happy, if you want to encourage the despairing, if you want to humble the proud, if you want to pacify the aggressive, there is no more effective means than music. That's the power of music. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones tells the true story of a man who one evening was on his way to the Thames River on a Sunday night to kill himself by jumping off of a bridge into the water. But as he was on his way, he walked fairly near a church that was having an evening service. And the music that came out of the windows that night was so lovely that it made him feel a certain amount of hope. Just a little hope. Just a twinge of a hope emerged in his heart. It moved him. And so instead of proceeding to the bridge and killing himself, he went in and sat down. And then the next week he went back. And he went back again. And then eventually he joined that church 
and decided to follow Jesus. Why? Because deep in his soul, the music said this, there is something to your life. There is something about you and about life that matters. That's worth it. That's worth something. Friends, in Job chapter 38, Job is this great story in the Bible of this man who goes through these awful, terrible things. He faces enormous suffering, and he sort of has this this grandiose debate and dialogue with God. And God doesn't reveal everything to him, but in the end, the, the Lord offers him some things. And in Job chapter 38, God is speaking to Job as Job has like poured out his heart and lamented and challenged God. And, and God says this to Job, When I laid the foundations of the earth, the stars and the angels sang for joy. It's like God's telling Job, I'm this huge, I'm this enormous. It's kind of like this idea of like, like you're, be, be real aware of who you're questioning and challenging here. But he says, when I laid the foundations of the earth, the stars and the angels sang for joy. There's a whole lot that's being said here. But at least something that's being said is this. When the spirit was moving across the face of the waters and was bringing order out of chaos, that's Genesis chapter 1 and 2, there was a soundtrack. Music was a witness to the fact that reality and life are not just random. That it's not just an accident. That we aren't just atoms and cells and plasma. That there is a God of love and peace and joy behind everything in this world, including you, including your life. Music reminds us of that fact. Why do music and singing matter? Because they are powerful forces that shape the human heart. Every human heart is powerfully shaped by music. Next question, what does it accomplish? What does music and singing do? What do they do to the human heart? Or maybe a better way to ask it is, what can they do? What's the possibilities? What are the possibilities of music when used for the glory of God? You know, one of the most interesting passages about music in the whole Bible comes from kind of a surprising place. It shows up in Deuteronomy chapter 31. Who here, honesty, don't lie in church, who here has read the entire book of Deuteronomy? All right. Braggers. Good job. No, no, I'm just kidding. That's, that's, that's impressive. Deuteronomy's thick. It's not the most captivating book. It's some tough reading. But right in the middle of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, God has just made a covenant with Israel. Like he's entered into this relational commitment to them. Like, I'm relationally committed to you. You're relationally committed to me. We are committed to each other. And yet, even as God enters into this covenant with us, he knows, his eyes are wide open to the fact that human hearts tend to drift. They tend to forget, they, that we tend to forget him. And so this is what he says in verse 19 of Deuteronomy 31. Again, right in the middle of this covenant. Now, he says this to Moses. Now, write down this song and teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it so that it may be a witness for me against them. Now, that sounds kind of 
Intense, doesn't it? Kind of indicting. Write down this song and teach it to them so that they'll remember this covenant, so that this covenant relationship that we're in will be deeply embedded into their hearts. And then he says, it will be a witness for me against them. What's he saying? In this passage, God is saying this. There is something about music and singing that shapes our heart, hearts and that pulls us back from our tendency to drift and go our own way and live for ourselves. He says, it will be a witness. It will be a constant testimony of who God is and the power of relying on and trusting in him. God says, sing this song. It will hold your, your drifting hearts steady. Do you remember in Acts chapter 2, the very first time the Holy Spirit is poured out on, on the church on followers of Jesus. The spirit that has been promised for centuries is now coming into the world and it's being poured out on Jesus' followers. The church of Jesus is receiving the Holy Spirit and the spirit comes with power and it comes with glory and might and people are a witness to this. And the big testimony about this moment when people receive the Holy Spirit of God, this long-awaited for moment, the big testimony about this moment, the big question is what? Man, are these guys who just received this spirit, are they drunk? Are these guys intoxicated? Is that, what's, is, that, is that what's going on right here? They've had too much wine? The spirit comes and the big accusation isn't, man, those guys were powerful or joyful or really Jesus-y. It was, are they drunk? Have they drank too much? Are they drink, it's just the morning. Are they drinking already? Well, ironically, Paul uses kind of the same parallel in our passage today. He says, do not get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, friends, there must be at least some parallel between wine, drunkenness, and the Spirit. And so the question is, what's the connection? What's the parallel? Why is this comparison made at least twice? You know, one thing about alcohol is that it takes away your inhibitions. Do you know this about alcohol? In my notes, I have insert story here, but I never inserted a story because, you know, obvious reasons. Didn't want to implicate my wife in church. No. I'm in trouble for that later. In other words, in other words, this, this is what alcohol does. The things you tend to worry about, at least for a little bit, they're gone. They don't seem as big or scary or daunting. When you drink, when you drink wine, when you drink lots of liquor, there is at least a momentary period of some length of relief. You forget about your worries. You're bold. You're courageous. You don't care what anybody thinks. You'll say stuff that you were too scared or intimidated to say before you drank. One writer said, joy and boldness come from being drunk. And that's true, again, for a little while. Why, though? Why? What creates this joy and boldness? How does alcohol do that? Well, alcohol gives us joy and boldness because alcohol is a depressant. In other words, it brings you joy and boldness by making you less aware of your surroundings, less aware of reality. And that's the reason you're so happy. Because you're no longer really thinking about your trials or struggles or stresses. 
When you drink, they become less real to you. So alcohol gives you joy and boldness by making reality less real. But the Spirit, like alcohol, also brings joy and boldness, but not as a depressant, instead as a stimulant, as a stimulus. In other words, the Spirit does not bring joy and boldness by making you see less of reality, but by helping you see more of reality. Tim Keller uh, says it this way. Just think about it like this. Imagine you're in a foxhole right at the enemy lines. You're there and you're all by yourself. And suddenly you learn that there are 200 enemy troops coming right for you. And they are just two miles away. Now, the question is, when you find out about that, how are you going to have joy? How are you going to have the confidence you need to stand your ground? How are you going to face that reality? Well, one of the ways, Keller says, is through a bottle of port. That will bring relief. That will bring joy. That will offer confidence because it will make you less aware of the reality, less concerned about it anyway. But there's also another way to find relief and joy and confidence by doing some reconnaissance. You see, you go out, you do some reconnaissance, and then you find that there are 2,000 friendly troops only one mile away, and when they get there, they'll surround you and protect you and help you. You see, reconnaissance makes you not less aware of reality, but more aware of your reality. You have more of a sense of the situation that you're truly in. And that's the difference between being drunk on wine and being filled with the Spirit. The Spirit makes you aware of the greater reality in which you live. You see, one of the ways you can deal with this fallen, broken, pain-filled world that we live in is by using something like wine to hide from reality. And we talked a few weeks ago how maybe for you it's wine or Netflix or food or a relationship. But there is this option to use something in this world to hide from reality. To forget or put off thinking about the enemy troops in your life that are heading your way. But the Bible, the scriptures, offer another option. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit invites you to step into a greater reality. The reality that even though this world is broken and there is hardship and trouble and tragedy and pain, God is not far away and he will be there to surround you and protect you and help you and walk with you through whatever fight lies ahead. You see, that's the greater reality. That's called being filled with the Spirit. You're suddenly aware of the troops that are right behind you that you weren't aware of before. You're aware of a God who stands with you and walks next to you through whatever it is in this world that you are facing. You see, you don't have to forget about your reality. You just embrace this greater reality of your God and that he's always, always there and always with you. Let me give you a, a little more personal example because most of us aren't at war right now. Imagine someone you care about criticizes you and says some really destructive things about your character. And these words that they speak maybe to someone else or maybe even directly to your face, they cut deep. They really hurt. The question is, how are you going to deal with that? Again, one of the ways is 
a bottle of port. (laughs) One of the ways is just to not care as much, to be less aware of that reality, to sweep those words under the rug, to just stick them aside. But the other way, again, if you're a Christian, is to embrace the greater reality of what Jesus Christ has done for you and to be deeply reminded of who you are in him. To let the reality of what he says about you overwhelm the reality of what they say about you. You see, we can embrace less of reality and try to forget about what someone has said, or we can embrace more of reality by knowing and believing and receiving what God says about us. That's what singing and music do. They remind us of who our God is. They remind us of who we really are. And singing and music embed those truths, not just into our minds. We don't just know them. They embed those truths into our hearts, into our souls, into the very core of who we are. So we don't just know them. We know them. We don't just believe them. We experience them. We feel them. They are really true in our lives. What does music and singing accomplish? The greater realities of God being embedded into our hearts. You want to embed into your heart who you are in Christ, who your God is, who our God is in this world? Sing. And that's our final question for today. How does this work? How do we tap into the power of music? How do we allow the greater realities of God to go deep inside of us? And the answer, friends, is so simple that we ignore it, that we cruise through life without it. The answer is this. Sing! Sing! And sing some more! Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. By the way, many people ask the question, does singing come from being filled with the Spirit? Or is singing how we are filled with the Spirit? And the obvious answer of the scriptures is yes. Very good. Very good. In other words, sometimes the result and the impulse and the response of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that we sing. That a song, that a tune comes bursting forth from our lips because we feel so deeply that God is good and that he's with us and that he's blessed us. That those feelings are so rich and deep in our soul that they come bursting out through song. Praise just comes off of our lips, out of our hearts. In fact, I would argue that singing is like a thermometer, one of the thermometers of our corporate connection to the Holy Spirit. And I'll say that again. Singing is like one of the thermometers of our corporate connection to the Holy Spirit. In other words, when we gather to sing, when we as a church come together to sing praises to God, we can tell how filled we are with the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control of the Holy Spirit by observing how we sing together. You see, and as you know, there's no formula for this. There's no one right way to express this. Paul actually says, speaking to one another another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Did you notice that little phrase in there? Songs, hymns, psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. You know, most scholars say that these are likely represented forms and styles of music from Paul's day. 
just that there were various sort of styles or genres of singing and music and that these three sort of sum up all the various ways that people would sing. And Paul says, you know, go for all three. And some will say, hey, this is just actual evidence that we should, when we gather together and worship, incorporate a variety of styles. That we should kind of like go across the gap and kind of bridge the gap of all these styles. And that's a good thing. I think Pastor Allie has done a great job and does continues to do a great job of helping us engage musically in a variety, with a variety of styles. And yet I'm, and I think that's a good thing, but I'm not actually convinced that that's what Paul's after here. He's not saying like every single style of music should be incorporated into your church. By the way, next week we'll have a rap service. It's gonna be off the his chain, right? <laughs> it's not gonna work as you can tell already. At any rate. <laughs> you know what I think Paul is saying here? You know what I think Paul is after when he kind of offers this list? I think Paul's saying any style will do. Style is not what matters. There is no right form or way to do music unto the Lord. The important thing is this, that you sing together. That's what matters. And so one of the questions for us as we take our spiritual, te spiritual temperature is this, how do we sing? When we gather together as a church, what does our singing look like and feel like and say about how in love with Jesus we are and filled with the Holy Spirit we are as a community of faith? Is our singing half-hearted, obligatory, casual, timid, disconnected, critical? Or is it deep, rich, thoughtful, robust, expressive, sincere, does our singing together as a church reflect a group of people who know and who have experienced a from death to life gift of grace from a God who gave his one and only son as a sacrifice for our sins? And friends, I don't offer that question as a rebuke or in a critical way. I just offer it as a question for us to consider. What does our singing say about our relationship with the Holy Spirit? If we were filled to the brim and overflowing Christ followers with the Holy Spirit, what would our singing look like? How would it look different than it does today? And friends, I think we can obviously ask that question as a congregation, but every single one of us can also ask that question as an individual. We can ask of ourselves, what does my singing say about my connection with the Holy Spirit? What does my singing say about how filled I am, how in step I am with the Holy Spirit of God? Because singing often flows out of a heart that's filled with the Spirit. But I'd also say that singing does not just come from the heart. It's also offered as a tool for the heart. And this is perhaps most important for us today as we talk about how to be filled with the Spirit, how to enter in and walk in step with the Spirit, how to do life with this Holy Spirit of God. Listen to this verse from Colossians 3. By the way, almost all commentators say this is a parallel verse, that Paul is actually saying the same thing here to the church in, 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 in uh, Colossae as he does to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians, in the verses we've looked at. This is Colossians chapter 3. 
He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, think about that for a minute. Like, in the very center of who you are, like, in all of who you are, that Jesus rules. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. And friends, that's Holy Spirit language. That he just dwells in our midst, right? Dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with what? All wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Paul is talking here about yielding to the Holy Spirit. Letting the Holy Spirit of God have control of us and of us. Again, he says the key to this is singing. When we sing, we open the deepest parts of us to the power and work of the Spirit. Feeling a little empty? Feeling a little out of step with the Spirit? Do you know what Paul would say? Sing! Sing! Offer a praise of thanks to God. Sing about God's goodness and grace and power and might. Sing alone. Sing together. Just sing. Listen to this quote from John Piper. And, I, and it's a beautiful quote. I wish I could read it with that like deep, gurgly John Piper voice in that cadence that only he has. And I was going to try it, but I think it would just be silly. So I'm just going to do it like me. But imagine John Piper reading this, if you know who John Piper is. If not, you'll just have to settle for me and it'll be fine. But listen to this, these words. This is so significant. Music and singing are necessary to Christian faith and worship for the simple reason that the realities of God and Christ, creation and salvation, heaven and hell, are so great that when they are known truly and felt duly, they demand more than just discussion and analysis and description. They demand poetry and song and music. Singing is the Christian's way of saying, God is so great that thinking will not suffice. There must be deep feeling. Talking will not suffice. There must be singing. And friends, here's the very simple point today, the take-home project and work for us to do together and at home in family groups and community groups and by ourselves in our cars. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, sing. If you need strength and courage, sing about His grace. If you are tempted and overwhelmed, Offer a song of praise. If you are stressed or anxious or insecure or guilt-ridden or filled with shame, sing to your heavenly Father and let him remind you of who he is. If you struggle for joy or are overwhelmingly joyful, your response should be the same. Sing. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are you know, unjustly imprisoned for preaching the gospel. They're sitting in chains. They're rotting in a Roman prison. And what do they do? They sing. And you know, I wonder how much of that song came out of a heart that was overflowing with the spirit and the joy and the boldness of Jesus and how much of that song was a plea to God 
for a filling of the Spirit in a really hard and difficult situation. And I would guess some of both. You know, when we first moved here, it was a fairly anxious time for me. Anytime you move somewhere, it's a tough time. I've talked about this before, but we lived for the first month um, in the house back in the back property, our missions house. We lived there for about a month until our house was ready. And for about a month, there was about a month period where we were living there, but I hadn't started here as the pastor yet. And we were just kind of attending under the radar and kind of getting to know a few people. And as the start date, the first preaching date for me got closer and closer, like my anxiety level just kept growing, you know. I'd come on Sundays, and I'd listen to Carl preach, and I'd think, I have to follow that guy? Are you kidding me? Like, this is going to be, this, they're going to throw me out of here. This is, this is going to be an absolute train wreck. And I had to keep reminding my heart. I had to keep, like, pouring God's promises and his truth into my soul. And the number one way that I would do that is I would grab my, my phone and my earphones and I'd put on worship music and I would run around the neighborhoods out here through Cedar Mill and then I'd come back and I would just circle the church. I would just circle the church and let, and let worship music play and just let those songs of praise sort of like, like marinate my heart and soul. Remind me that it wasn't about me, that it was about God, that he was faithful and just and gracious and merciful and that his plans were going to be accomplished. It was just a time of great confidence building in me, not confidence in myself, but confidence in my God. That happened, friends, through music and singing. So I have to exhort you today. No matter what you're facing in this world, no matter what this life has before you, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, if you want to walk and step with the Spirit, if you want to allow the Spirit of God to flow through your life, sing. Song and music has never been more accessible to you in this world than it is today. We live in the Steve Jobs era. A thousand songs in your pocket. Someone reminded me this week that when the iPod first came out, the catch line, the tag phrase was, a thousand songs in your pocket. You've probably got 8,000 songs in your pocket, or you could if you wanted to. Worship, song, praise, music is available to you so often in your life. Do not go through this world. Do not go through your week. Do not walk a single day without spending some time in music and song. Sing. Let Music that lifts Jesus fill your life. I'll put it this way. When should you sing? With a goat or on a boat. In a box or with a fox. In a house or even with a mouse. On a train or in the rain. Oregonians, can I get an amen? You can sing whether here nor there. You can sing to God anywhere. Anywhere. Your favorite, don't wait, no, oh, I really wish Allie would play my favorite worship tune that touches my heart. Guess what? Buy it, put it on your phone, and listen to it all week long. Sing, worship, listen, marinate your heart in songs that give praise to God. Confession, I used to be way better at this. I, I used to be really good at this. 
There was a season in my life, probably in my 20s, when my life was filled with and saturated with music of praise to God. I, I, everywhere I went in the car, praise music. At home, praise music. I remember Amy and I, when our kids were little, we used to do like praise music dance parties with our kids in the living room. What happened to those days? Our kids grew up a bit. <laughs> but I used to be better at this. I used to be less busy. I used to devote more time to music and singing. And this week, friends, I have to tell you, God has used this message to say to me, it's time to get back to it. Because music and song is a central part of walking with and doing life in the spirit of God. And you can't do it on your own. We must sing. And so, not just this morning, but also this morning. Last week we closed by listening. Any guesses on how we're going to close today? (laughs) I hope not. We're going to come to the tables. We're going to receive the bread and the cup, and we're going to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that our God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for our sins, and that our God is so powerful that he's even more powerful than the grave, that he raised his son to new life, and that in him we can have new eternal life as well. We're going to remember that truth. We're going to receive the elements to declare it again to ourselves and to one another, and then we are going to sing. Some of us are going to sing from a heart that's filled and overflowing, and some of us are going to sing by way of saying, God, I need the water of your Holy Spirit to fill my life once again, wherever you're at. Together this morning, we are going to sing. Because God will use it. He'll shape us with it, and he will get glory from it. So I'm going to pray, and then the team's going to come up. The tables will be open. There'll be folks on the side and in the back to pray with you if you need prayer. But come to the table, and then let's close our time together today with song. Father, this morning, we just say thank you for the gift of music. Thank you for the ability to declare your goodness beyond just words. Thank you for melodies that express in our minds and hearts things that we can never find words to say. I pray, Lord, that our church, that as we gather together, we would be a church that sings to you in ways that reflect the kind of life that we have with you and the Holy Spirit and the kind of lives that we long to have with you and the Holy Spirit. So fill us this morning, Lord. Meet us, challenge us, and change us as we sing, all for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.